0: Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm your host Siobhan Booth and I've been a clinical hypnotherapist since 2011. I specialise in helping people overcome anxiety and build confidence instead. This weekly podcast will cover a wide range of mental health issues related to anxiety along with some helpful tips and suggestions that you can try at home. If you have any questions that you'd like answered in a future episode, then please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of my 2021 guest series. And this week I'm joined by Michelle who has joined us all the way from America. Michelle was very keen to share her story. And I will just put a bit of a warning at the start of this one we do spend a lot of time discussing the death of her first child, which some people might find quite challenging to listen to. Having said that, Michelle talks about her early experiences of mental health, talks about how that particular occurrence in her life affected her, but also goes on to talk about how she's managed to turn it into quite a positive thing where she's set up a foundation that provides a lot of support and help to other parents who might be in a similar situation. There's loads of really great advice in here and there's loads of really honest and open conversation about how difficult it is to go through something like that and also what you can say to families that are experiencing similar things and how to avoid putting your foot in it a little bit too. So I just wanted to pop that warning in before we get started, but it is an absolutely fantastic episode and Michelle is such an incredible person with so much strength And she talks a little bit at the end as well about her second child that she's had since then and her thoughts and feelings about moving forwards. So, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So, mainly, I would just like to start off really by thanking you for your time and thanking you for joining us from all the way over in America. It's quite a distance to the UK. So a huge welcome, Michelle. And I wonder if you'd be happy just to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, yes, I live in the States and um, specifically the Chicagoland area and have lived here my entire life and feel no compulsion to leave. I am a mom of two. Um, one who, um, who died at nine days old um, after um, being born 16 weeks premature and after a three-week hospitalization before her birth, um, Collette. And then um, I have a six-month-old, actually almost seven-month-old <laughs> um, son, Elliot. Um, and I was an attorney by um, trade and I worked mostly with domestic violence and sexual assault victims, um, and love that. And after my daughter, Clett, died, um, really was a little lost, um, wanted to do a lot of things, and so I started in a foundation here in her name, so it's the Clett Louise Tisdall Foundation, and we, um, in the U.S., provide financial support to families dealing with complicated and high-risk pregnancies, uh, NICU stays, and loss. And so I run that full time. Um, we have really, we're a nationwide organization. So we have helped over 530 families in a little over two years. And, you know, really just that has been super fulfilling work um, and has allowed me the flexibility to also um, be raising my son. What intrigued me is that I have struggled with anxiety my whole life and so when I saw um about this podcast I was like okay let me let me talk to um other people who might be feeling this or might be thinking that that's what they have etc
0: yeah thank you so much Um, the whole point of these episodes was really to get different perspectives on mental health so the fact that you're happy to talk about yours and some of your experience as well is um a huge huge thing so thank you we were talking before we started recording about your anxiety and how it was something you really had had from quite a young age. Would you right. be happy to us through that?
1: Sure. So I, the first panic attack I can remember was probably, I was about seven or eight. Of course, I didn't have a name for it um, really until I was in my thirties, but I realized it. And so it was just where all of a sudden it kind of felt um, like claustrophobic. Like the walls were moving in on me. My heart felt like it was racing. Although I think um, if I had actually like tested my heart rate, I think it would have been normal. Um, But it just felt like it. And just I I remember feeling very sweaty and just not right. And I knew that much. And so it was the first time that I really remember feeling that. Um, And then it scared me enough that I mentioned it to my parents uh, who took me to the doctor. um, And there was heart disease in my family. And so the concern with especially the like feeling like my heart was racing and even some of the sweating, the concern right away was that I might have some sort of heart condition. And so I went through a battery of tests to check that out. Um, And somehow I knew it wasn't my heart. Like I don't, just sort of intuition feeling I knew it was in my heart. And so I remember um, they went to set me up for a test and they were putting the stickers on my chest and, you know, staring up. And I remember starting to cry because it just felt like this is not, this is not what this is. And so you're not gonna find a reason. And I remember thinking I was broken and, you know, crazy or, something was really wrong with me because I knew it wasn't my heart. Um, and it turned out what's my heart. And then I would have similar episodes off and on. Um, I would also have episodes where I was so like overly angry. Um, I just remember a lot of, um, especially as a teenager, a lot of times just feeling like i could have destroyed things. I wanted to break things like just that kind of thing. And and really just continued that like inner thought that something was really wrong with me. Um, That, you know, I was a bad person, I was something. And I think, you know, over time I would some, you know kind of do these like sort of, I would work on myself a little bit. um, And then I would feel a little bit better. And then it would sort of flare up again. And I just kind of spent my life like that. When I was about 30, um, my mom, uh, you know, like, had me over and was chatting with me and sort of said, you know, I think there might be something where you need to, and she went straight to you need to go into meds. And I said, what do you mean? And so, Sort of as an agreement, I went and saw a psychiatrist who right away, like heard my symptoms and said, you know, you suffer from anxiety. And I said, no, and <laughs> was kind of shocked. Um, and as she heard what I was explaining as what ended up being panic attacks, she said, those are panic attacks. And I said, no, 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 no. panic attacks are like something else she said, no, those are panic attacks. Um, And that was really the first time that it had a name and it had some solutions. Um, And so um, I was put on medication that I am still on today um, that helps a lot. Um, And then, you know, I really started counseling and really working on myself and, um, you know, really trying to manage situations, so that I wasn't putting myself in situations that could cause panic attacks, and um, you know, really worked a lot on that, and that's something that's an ongoing process, Um, but something that I really, uh, you know, I do struggle with every day, and um, I do have to sort of, you know, realize some things about myself, and it's not always easy, Um, and sometimes it still feels like I like something is wrong with me and other days it's just like okay this is part of who I am and so let me you know cope with this and um and so yeah
0: so that's quite a big gap between your first panic attack and then not really having any idea of what's going on until you're a 30 that's a long period of time to be experiencing these things but not understanding what's going on
1: yeah 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 that must be scary yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, a lot of it is there's sort of this stigma, I think, you know, generally of mental health, of anxiety, of anything. Um, and I think that, that is slowly changing. And I'm always so glad when I see that it's changing, and people are openly talking about it. Um, and then, you know, so I think that that's happening. And then I think also, it's just really not knowing where to look for help. Or if you, what kind of help you need or anything like that. And that was really what I struggled with for a while. You know, I remember in my twenties sort of feeling like, okay, something's not totally hundred percent correct. And um, maybe hearing a little bit about, um, you know, anxiety and stress and that kind of thing and thinking about that. But there wasn't like a great place that I could see to turn to, to go. You know, there was some stigma uh, within my family, but also just in great society about going to counseling. Um, you know, it was like, we don't we don't do that. You know, we don't talk about our problems. We're not crazy. Uh, you know, I got a lot of that kind of um, feedback, both explicit and implicitly. And so, I think it really wasn't until I just did it that then I could have this moment of like, oh, so that's what all this time I've been thinking is wrong with me. And like, it's not actually wrong with me. It's just something I have to work with and cope with. And so it's, you know, one of my my struggles, but it also, I think has, created me into somebody who is very in touch with their body and their intuition as well Um, and so sometimes my intuition is when my anxiety starts to rise a little bit I'm like this is not a good situation and I might make a decision differently Um, and when I'm comfortable that that feels very like okay this is a good place to be and I think that that's also um, the other you know good thing.
0: So despite all of this going on, you still managed to have quite a, a great career as an attorney as well.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So how how did you manage things like the stress of all the studying, of working while still having anxiety?
1: So I, I always have liked to keep like super busy. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think is a result of my anxiety is just really not feeling like I'm doing enough. Right. I never feel that way. And, and I think most women would say that, but I think it's even you know, more heightened when you have anxiety and um, you know, a big gap where you didn't know what, what the issue really was. Um, and so for me, a lot of it was just, I really felt like my sort of coping mechanism for everything was just to do more work. So um, it was just constant, you know, like, okay, well then I'll just do something else. I'll just do something else. And I keep myself so busy. um, Like I almost don't have time to worry about these things. Um, That's not to say that like, I didn't have panic attacks during all of those different junctures, um, because I did. I started, I sort of in my schooling, really when I saw it more, the anxiety more manifested less in panic attacks in the traditional sort and more in, um, physical ailments. So, you know, for example, I, um, when I was studying for the bar exam, um, I couldn't keep anything down. So I basically threw up most of my meals. Um, and you know, that was really, I think looking back now at it was just the anxiety, the stress, and somehow I think my body, knowing I didn't have the time to have the big panic attack, and so this was how it was manifesting itself. And that's what I would see, you know. So I would get, um, I would get sick a lot more often. Um, I would, um, you know, definitely see those kinds of physical things where, when the stress got really high, I would find myself sick. And again, I think it was just one of those things, right? Like I just figured this was normal and that this is what people, this is how people dealt with stress, right? Um, we just, you know, now I kind of think about this and even saying it, it's sort of like, how did I think that, right? Like I was, I was an intellectual, I knew better. And yet that was sort of what I told myself um, was that of course this was the case and you know, Um, and then put blame on myself, you know, so it was like, well, maybe you just need to do one more thing, and then you'll feel more confident about this, or um, whatever it was, Um, and now looking back and thinking so much about how different things would have been if I had had a diagnosis and a plan with a professional, um, that I continue to, you know, reevaluate, and Look at it again. And, um, you know, at the time I just figured it was a way of life. And now realizing it is part of my life and part of my story, but it's something I can manage much differently.
0: I think a lot of people will identify with that, especially when you don't even know what the problem is. I think right. it's very easy to just think, well, this is the situation I'm in. I'm just going to have right. to deal with
1: it. Exactly. Uh, I think
0: Lot of people who go through a large proportion of their life feeling that way
1: right yeah
0: so then we end up in this situation this horrendous situation where your child dies mm-hmm. yeah and how does that how do you even manage that when you're already dealing with mental health
1: right um <laughs> I don't know like I mean I honestly don't know completely how I managed to get through that um so she died in May of 2018 and so you know almost three years later um I think of if you know three years ago Michelle had heard she was going to lose her daughter um she probably would have said I can't survive that and and that's it like I'm you know and so sometimes I do look back and I I wonder how I survived and continue to survive with that and I think that that's Um, that any parent who has lost a child uh, would probably say something similar. Um, In terms of anxiety, uh, one thing I noticed was that um, my panic attacks that had been controlled and that weren't happening um, did come back, uh, not to the same intensity and level. Um, I did adjust meds so that I ended up increasing meds um at some point in the kind of immediacy of the grief process um, I credit so my husband is amazing and um really super supportive and um you know kind of knows my signals and my needs you know almost as well as I do and so I think he helped a lot with that um, and I think that creating the foundation gave me some real purpose. And that was, um, you know, that I wasn't, I wasn't gonna let Clot's life be in vain. Um, I wanted her to have meaning. And I also wanted to make meaning of the fact that um, I had had preeclampsia um, I could have died of preeclampsia and I knew that. Um, I actually, during my C-section after we delivered it, and they delivered Clet and um, my husband left to go see Clet pulled my agreement and it just seemed like all they were doing was sewing me up. Um, they had an issue and they ended up having to put me under general anesthesia, anesthesia and that had been something that we had been warned was dangerous. and So um, I actually, as they were putting me under, assumed I wasn't gonna wake up. Um, And, you know, that was really telling. And I think it was also like, I, for some reason, right? And and I struggled with faith in God since Clint died, Um, but something in the universe, caused it so that I survived all of that. And so I really try to go back to that. There is some purpose and there's some reason why I was saved. Um, And I think that is probably one of the biggest things that kind of gets me going. Um, And that leads me to say, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. Um, I have continued counseling. And, you know, I do that. Um, I have created a support system around me that, um, you know, I can rely on and I can turn to. Um, I am still working on this, but trying not to um, take on too many things and realizing that, um, you know, realizing things like I... So the the term was one time explained to me and I actually love this term was, I'm an extroverted introvert. And I think, you know, that's very much what it is but it's that really my recharge and my energy boost really comes from just going within Um, and recognizing that felt like a big game changer. And I think continuing to really recognize that um, but also to realize that I do still get some energy as well from other people, and so really, um, you know, setting up those networks, setting up those support systems uh, to have people. I will say, you know, one thing that has amazed me and continues to amaze me is that in sort of the lost community, how many other parents are so willing to spend the time to talk to each other and to really check in with each other, and so, you know, I have friends now that I've known less than three years that I feel more comfortable talking to than somebody I might have known my whole life um, because of all of those feelings and that we can kind of have those open discussions and say things that we might not say to other people um, and I think that that you know having that network is so vitally important and you know I think that that's really, you know, anybody suffering from anxiety or really any mental health issue um, without being a professional in that, I would say really it's, you know, setting yourself up for success. Um, And so that is surrounding yourself with people who get it, um, even if they can't personally relate, um, but who say things um, and really getting to a point where you feel like you can say, you know, to the people in your life, Like that is not helpful or, um, you know, this is how I feel and your perspective on it doesn't change how I feel. And that takes work and that's hard. And there are some days where I do feel like I'm tired of fighting the world. Um, And, you know, I think it's, we don't deal well with death in this country or in this society. And we especially don't deal well with death of babies. Um, I think that feels icky and uncomfortable for a lot of people, which means that is very easy to look at my family and to say, well, you have a son or you have a child and to forget my daughter. Um, And we have had people, you know, very openly essentially say that. Um, I don't think that they always forget clut. I think it's just more comfortable for them. But, you know, that's really important. And there are people in my life that because they weren't there, you know, as hard as it was, I have had to essentially eliminate them from my life Um, because all they do is is cause me that anxiety, that stress. And, you know, and I think of, I had a friend that I have, has been one of my best friends for, you know, over a decade, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, and she really just wasn't there, you know, um, she came to Colette's memorial and then she just sort of disappeared, you know, essentially. And I think that for her, she felt like that was the best thing she could do. But I think, you know, every time I sort of think about her or look at her, I just think you weren't there when I needed you. Um, And I don't think we could ever really repair that relationship. And that is sad to me on a regular basis. Like that makes me sad. Um, But I know it's the right decision to have made. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I'm, you know, I think is important. Um, I do a lot of work of um, writing and presentations on uh, sort of how to work with lost parents, um, because I think that's so important. Uh, it's kind of just one of those things that people clam up. And I would say probably myself included before three years ago, um, I probably would have um, done stuff. So I, my joke that I always tell people is whenever anybody says anything sort of, you um, you know, dumb or inappropriate to me, I sort of throw out a general, I'm sorry to the universe if I said anything that was dumber and insensitive to um, other parents. And so, um, you know, but I think it's really through wanting to do better and wanting to learn. Um, you'll probably see that there's a theme of like wanting to give back and do that and really help other people that I think is, for me at least, is very healing and very helpful in,
0: I think you've picked up on a few I mean really important things there the knowing where you get your energy from so knowing that difference between when you need to be an extrovert and when you need to be an introvert sounds like a really useful coping skill Mm -hmm. and surrounding yourself with people who are supportive is such an important part of getting through any kind of traumatic upsetting experience and it is sad unfortunately that people do find these topics very challenging and find themselves in positions where they don't know what to say. They don't know how to behave around somebody who has suffered something that they are so scared and hope fervently won't happen to them. Right, right. So it is a big challenge. There's the challenge of your own personal emotions about that situation. And then there's also the challenge of dealing with other people, dealing with all the other things that come around that as well. So mm-hmm. I think you've, um, explained that so nicely and so I really appreciate you sharing your story with people because that's right. such a, a difficult thing I think for people to really understand right. what it possibly have felt like.
1: Right yeah and and then it you know I mean I can sort of say now that I think I've worked through a lot of it um, but you know the first year to two years um, I didn't really sleep that well um, because I would wake up sort of just the natural wake up and our house was so quiet. And, and that would just feel like a punch in the gut. And I can't tell you how many, you know, middle of the night, super early morning um, times I would just sort of lay in bed and I would replay every single step in pregnancy and Colette's life. And think about all the things I could have done differently. And talk about add to your anxiety, right? When you start thinking about all the different things you could have done differently. Um, and, you know, really it was my therapist who said to me one day, she said, okay, so let's say that you had done this. Let's say you had done that. Do you know for sure things would have turned out differently? And I remember looking at her and saying, I hate you sometimes, Um, because that was really like a defining moment where it was like, oh, wait, I'm assuming that changing this little thing or changing that little thing would have changed the entire course of everything that happened, but I don't actually know that. Um, And so, you know, kind of trying to let go of that and realize, Things happen and sometimes we unfortunately still can't explain them and explain why they happened. And that is so hard um, to, to live in that place and to, you know, really try not to put that on you. Um, you know, I had always heard that term mom guilt and not really totally understood it. Um, I 110% agree with it now. It is real. It is intense, um, and it is the kind of thing that needs to be talked about more, and that we need to be more supportive of each other. You know, um, there are decisions I make that I'm sure other moms would would be horrified by, in and vice versa, um, and just sort of you know looking at that and realizing those kinds of things exist, and we need to you know, not be so hard on ourselves and each other. Um, And I think that's really important.
0: So how much of a challenge was that to move from a place of blaming yourself for a situation that happened, to really understanding that situations aren't always in our control. How do you manage to kind of give that space in your head?
1: Yeah, it's ongoing, you know, and I think it was really just thinking through things. I think, um, you know, again, my husband was amazing at saying, um, you know, think of all the things you did well, and that you really, like, you did everything you could have. Um, and, you know, so some things that he reminds me of is the doctor's appointment that led to my hospitalization. Um, I was convinced I needed to go to the doctor. And I got a lot of pushback from a lot of different things. Um, I even remember being at work and leaving in the middle of a presentation, just saying, I I need five minutes, um, and walking out and taking calls because um, the nurses wanted to cancel my appointment um, and sort of told me I didn't need that appointment. And I said, no, I'm coming and I will see the doctor and really pushing back on that. Um, and so being in this place where somehow my intuition told me I need to go to the doctor, um, even though everyone in you know my world, um, including nurses and medical staff were telling me that I was overreacting. And so that you know, I, I don't know, and, and thinking just about you know how different things would be if I had listened to anybody and sort of said, Oh, yeah, I don't need to go. Would I be here today? Um, would Colette have survived long enough for us to have you know nine days or even you know nine hours with her? Um, and I don't know the question, the answer to all of those, and I think you know, really trying to focus more on. Clearly, I tried to do as much as I knew at the time and as much as I could do at the time. Um, You know, it's very easy to look back and to think, um, oh, if I had just done this one thing, you know, um, I didn't have a great boss while I was pregnant and she put a lot of stress on me. Um, And so for a very long time, it was like, why didn't I just quit my job? you know, I thought about it. Why didn't I just do it? If I hadn't had that stress, then everything wouldn't have happened. Um, and I don't know if that's true. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and there are no answers that say that there is something that caused this to happen. It's a little unknown. You know, that is also very frustrating. Uh, you know, I wanted an answer. I wanted a reason, something tangible to be like, okay, now we can fix this. Um, and you know, with with that kind of thing of doing that and thinking of all the things you could have done or wanting a solution to fix it. Um, you know, two things in particular that people said to me stand out. And one thing was we had met with a doctor, um, they had gone through a bunch of tests, couldn't find anything. And the doctor said, well, you know, it's worth checking to see if you have a blood clotting disorder. So let's just run the test and see. And um, it came back and I didn't have anything. And I was talking to my sister who um, is my best friend and is amazing and is a social worker. So sometimes she just like turns the mirror on myself and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Um, And she said, um, so think about, like, I was very bummed when it came back that they hadn't found anything. And she said, think about what you're saying. So you wanted to have a blood clotting disorder. Do you know what that means? And she said, and you're looking for something to be wrong. And does that make any sense? And, um, and that really stood out for me. And I, I still think about that statement of, oh yeah, that's not, no, I don't want something to be wrong with me. Um, and although I want an answer to this one question, like don't, I don't want to live with what a blood clotting disorder means um, and all the fear and worry that go along with that. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is a very good friend of mine um, who lost, um, two babies, very similar things. They did some investigation and a lot of research and found she had um, um, a genetic component that could cause um, the losses. And very rare, very specific. Um, I think she's either already in a medical journal or she's going to be in a medical journal with this um, kind of thing. And when I first met her, and she talked about that she had this, I thought, "Oh, how lucky you must be. You must feel." Like at least they identified it. So you knew that you could then go on and have healthy babies and pregnancies, um, albeit through IVF, but not naturally. And And then I like remember talking to her and thinking, that didn't change her level of grief that didn't change the impact of having lost, um, they really didn't change anything, except it gave you a couple more answers for the future. Um, and really thinking about that and saying, OK, so even if they told me something today, is that it's not going to bring Collette back. It's not going to lessen the grief and the pain. Um, so do I need something? Yeah, it'd be nice, but no. Um, And so really, you know, having this feeling of, okay, I mean, it happened and this is, you know, something I just have to sort of accept and move on. Um, Some days are easier to say that than others. Um, I mean, just saying it right now was easy, but there will be some days where I don't know that I wouldn't be able to say it at all. Um, And, but, you know, overall knowing that um, there would have been no way to have
0: this. Yeah, I think um, everything you've said there is going to be really, really beneficial for people to hear because there are a lot of different situations where people do blame themselves for what happened mm-hmm. and really struggle to accept that sometimes horrific things happen and there isn't an explanation. It's just unfortunate. So mm-hmm. I think everything that you've just said there will be really helpful to anyone who is blaming themselves for something that they couldn't have changed. Well, they don't know they changed. Right. So your foundation now that mm-hmm. provides support,
1: what else does it do? So um, we provide financial support, um, do a big education piece um, of, so I've um, gone and talked more pre-COVID than now um, to medical professionals about you know, how to work with lost parents Um, how to work with lost parents who are having um, another child and how to um, make sure that you're not giving them lines that they might have heard in their loss um, that don't feel very comforting. So, for example, saying everything looks good, everything's okay, or, you know, whatever is not necessarily helpful to a parent who has experienced loss. Um, or, you know, one thing I think of that is definitely a real difficult thing for me now, and um, we talked about this, you know, briefly before we started is um, now with COVID, is I have a baby, and although there's vaccines, and that's awesome, and my husband and I are planning to go as soon as we're eligible and getting our vaccines, um, I don't know when there's going to be a vaccine that he can take, and, you know, when I say this to a lot of people, a lot of people cite, um, <clears throat> the fact that like it hasn't affected babies and children as much, and they talk to me about this, and they they tell me you know percentages and everything like this, and that's not helpful to me because everything we went through, you know, were low percentages. Um, I think preeclampsia occurs in like I think it's something like eight percent of preg- all pregnancies. Well, it occurred in ours, and you know when you also take into account. Um, how early I was, I was 21 weeks pregnant when I was hospitalized and had severe, so it was a severe preeclampsia, that 8% goes down even lower. Um, So when you tell me a sort of percentage or a number, I don't find any help in that. Like, that doesn't provide me any comfort. Um, And I know it might to people who didn't have a situation. So educating about that kind of thing um, and you know, some of the things, like I said, the it's not your fault, um, you know, we see a lot of um, moms, but, you know, dads too, um, who feel like, oh, if I had just done this differently. And so really doing a lot of education of like, you could do everything right and by the book, and you could still end up with a child, you could still end up on a pregnancy bed rest. you could still end up with a child who has to spend time in NICU, you could still end up with a law. Um, and so it's not anything that parents are doing, um, and you know I think a lot of that. And then uh, advocacy, really, you know, we would like to, um, you know, one thing that I really do spend a lot of time on and really trying to do is um, advocacy for some paid family leave. Um, you know, we don't have we don't have federally mandated maternity leave. Um, and um, you know what's considered sort of up until very recently was considered like you know a great law that was passed um, in the 90s is uh, you can take up to 12 weeks of um, leave time for it's called Family and Medical Leave Act, and you can take up to 12 weeks, but those 12 weeks are unpaid. So and that's the way the law is. Um, now there are companies. And there are some here and there that are choosing to pay at least part of that, but they don't have to. Um, And not only are they unpaid, but it's a low percentage of people. I think it's only like 60 to 70% of workers who actually qualify for that. So then you're talking another chunk of the workforce that doesn't, uh, doesn't qualify for this. And then the rest of them, you're asking people to take 12, you know, up to 12 weeks unpaid. And, you know, how many people can honestly do that in crisis? Um, and so, you know, really trying to um, advocate for legislation that establishes some guidelines and some requirements for paid leave um, for example, and then also just to make, um, it a priority for maternal and infant health. Um, we, our maternal mortality rate here is abysmal. Um, it was actually safer for my mom to give birth, um, almost 39 years ago than it is today. And so like, that is scary And that is shocking. And, you know, when we add in women of color, particularly Black women, um, Black women are anywhere from three to four times more likely to die related to pregnancy, childbirth, or postpartum than a white woman is. And that's even when you take into account socioeconomic factors. So, you know, a Black woman with an advanced degree beyond college is more likely to die than a white woman. doesn't even have a high school degree. And so, you know, it's not any of the reasons that, you know, are easy to say, like, oh, they didn't have access to care. They didn't know proper treatment or anything like this. No, these are educated, you know, um, often wealthy women who are still having issues and they're not being heard by medical staff and they're not being taken seriously. Um, and we need to do something about that because that is it's killing our moms it's killing our baby.
0: wow that's really shocking to hear um yep. and for my listeners in the uk um that will be very surprising to hear mm-hmm. so i absolutely hope that your foundation achieves all the things that right. that you're about to achieve in colette's name
1: mm-hmm. yeah exactly
0: so you must have been quite anxious about having another child
1: yes um yeah, and so our um, son, we used a gestational carrier. Um, we did try again, um, and uh, had been an IVF pregnancy. Um, we've only ever gotten pregnant through IVF. Um, and so we did another round that did not work. And the night that we had found out, um, my husband was crying and... Honestly, I felt relieved, and I really struggled with that for a while, Um, just sort of internally of, I don't think I want to be pregnant. Um, I think it scares me too much and it. um, There's too much uncertainty, and I don't know how I survive with all of that. Um, And so it really took some time and probably I felt that way for about a month before I brought it up and I brought it up to my husband and I, said, I think maybe we should use a surrogate um, and I think he was shocked because shortly after Clyde had died when we talked about another child um I at the time said there was no way in hell that I would use a surrogate um so I think he was like wait where did this come from um and you know we we did our research we we talked to several couples um and that kind of thing and ultimately decided you know this was really the best solution for us at the time and so we did we had an amazing surrogate who was wonderful um who you know has really become part of our family and um you know was great and the pregnancy was um, was totally successful. We had no issues. Um, he was actually needed to be induced because he was almost a week late. Um, and um, I I also say that apparently amongst our children, um, they don't believe in due dates because Clent was so early, Elliot was late. Um, so due dates mean nothing to us. Um, but you know, really. You know, but that didn't take away the anxiety or the guilt or any of the feelings. Um, I made it a little bit easier that I wasn't, um, I wasn't experiencing the same fears all the time. Um, I think if I, at the time at least, if I had been pregnant, I think any sort of, oh, this little thing is bothersome, whatever, would have sent me spiraling. To a point of, you know, thinking this is it. It's another loss. Um, but you know that was hard to go through a pregnancy and you know to constantly be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, and you know, talk about what you know earlier saying about blaming yourself. I even when COVID hit and you know things were changed and um life kind of turned upside down a little bit um I said to my husband I knew I shouldn't have started knitting that blanket for him I knew that I did that and and so I caused this this curse and whatever and I remember him sort of looking at me and it was one of the rare times that he's looked at me like you've got to be kidding me right and so yeah of course It's not me knitting a little bit that caused a global pandemic. I know that. But at the time, it sort of felt like clearly this has to be my fault. Like somehow I've done something and and whatever. Um, And, you know, it was hard. And the anxiety was definitely high. And, you know, we would go to doctor's appointments and the night before doctor's appointments, neither of us would really sleep. Um, and, you know, I can't tell you how many times before a doctor's appointment, it'd be like three in the morning. And, um, you know, one of us would turn to the other one and say, are you awake? And we'd be like, yep. And it would just be like, let's just try to go back to sleep. Or, you know, sometimes one of us or both of us would get up and just sort of say, okay, it's not happening. Um, and then, you know, after, after appointments, when everything was given the, okay, that like, Feeling of relief for at least the rest of the day, um, but yeah, it was you know it was a great experience, but it was also really hard um, to not feel guilty. Um, I worried about since I didn't wasn't gonna carry him. I worried about bonding with him. I spent a lot of time reading about that, talking to people, that kind of thing. Um, now I think about like within you know, three seconds of holding him that all of that melted away. And so now I sort of think, oh my God, why did you worry that much about it? But I did. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, that's another thing that I think we need to be honest about. You know, I, I know many mothers who say they didn't feel that immediate bond afterwards. And I think we need to be honest and real about that. But that's, that does not mean that you are a bad person or a bad mom. It just means you might need a little bit more time and that's okay. Um, And so, um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was difficult. Um, I also, although I wasn't pregnant, I tried to induce lactation so I could breastfeed. And that was an experience and that was tough. Um, And when it wasn't really working and I was sort of doing the debate in my head about, do I, do we just go to, formula. Um, Our surrogate did pump for a while. So he did have breast milk. Um, But when I was playing that sort of game in my head, uh, I remember my sister-in-law text messaged me and said, you know, how's it going with breastfeeding? And I said, you know, it's really difficult. And I'm really thinking about switching. And she texted me back, just very simple. And she said, and he'll be fine. She said, and he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And, you know, it's something that I've gone back and said to her several times. Like, that was, it was just like, you knew what I needed to hear at that moment, which was like, I just needed somebody else to tell me what I knew, but I didn't want to. accept. And, you know, that was so powerful. And I think that that goes back to, you know, having people around you who are going to be encouraging and are going to support you and not put, unnecessary stress on yourself um and that was so helpful in that moment was just like okay and your child will be okay and he is okay and he's healthy and he's a happy baby and um you know and that was that was okay
0: it's interesting that you use the word powerful because I was just thinking in my head listening to you there that it's such a powerful thing to choose how you want to have your family and Mm -hmm. to choose what's best for you, what's best for your health, what's best for your family's future and that was a really powerful thing for me to hear was that Mm -hmm. you took those steps and now you have your second child who you can care for.
1: And I think that that's the important part you know I mean we spent so much time worrying about you know physically could I handle a pregnancy and did we foresee anything physically and it was really you know kind of a moment that I had after some soul searching where it was like I also need to worry about my mental health, and can I really handle this of being pregnant with both the physical toll and the mental health toll? Um, and you know, I think that that's something that we don't do often enough, and I think we really need to step back and include that, as they are not one, you know, separate of each other, but they do play together, and we do need to spend time thinking about that.
0: Yeah, definitely working out what's best for us. is such okay. a key, a very powerful thing to use that word again. Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
0: Wow, well, I, I have to say, I appreciate so much you sharing your story with us.
1: Of course, I'm happy to do so, so.
0: Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an incredible thing that's happened, an incredible negative thing, obviously, but it seems like you've managed to find ways forward and find ways to cope despite how challenging the situation is so I, I really hope that that inspires people who maybe are going through a really challenging time now that
1: mm-hmm.
0: there is a time in the future where things do get better right yeah for sure is there any advice just turned that you'd like to give people who might be struggling with a similar situation or a situation that they're just finding completely overwhelming
1: yeah you know I think it's really um I know that this term has gotten associated very much with Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I think it really is just, like, one day at a time, and, like, one step at a time, and one, you know, um, and what works today may not work tomorrow, and that's okay, Um, and so it's readjusting it. Um, There is no perfect way to handle any of this, Um, and, you know, I think it's realizing what works, um, going with that, and building your tool chest, really, of resources and help Um, And that is including things that you know you can do to yourself. Um, And whether that's, you know, just doing a meditation, whether that's, um, you know, kind of doing a positive self talk, um, whether that's going to something that you've written down previously to say, okay, this is what I'm going to go to. Um, Who is around you as a support system? Um, What other tools can you use? And I think it's really just building up that toolkit to a point where, you know, you can. Go to it over and over again as many times as you need to to survive it. Um, and, you know, one bad moment does not mean, you know, you've thrown everything off. Um, one bad hour, one bad day, bad week, a bad month like that's okay. Um, and so, you know, not to wallow in that sort of, oh my God, I failed in this, I failed in this, I failed in this, but to say, and then I got back up the next day and I try it again. And this time I did this, this, and this, and it was better. Um, I think really just, you know, focusing more on the wins instead of the losses, I think is really so important.
0: Yeah, I think that's amazing advice. I have nothing to add to that. So just <laughs> huge thank you for your time.
1: Of course. Well thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast for notifications on future episodes and if you have the time to write a quick review then that would be greatly appreciated. To find out more about me and the work that I do please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com that's the number two anxietytoconfidence.com